0: So you guys, turn in in your Bibles with me, if you could, to chapter 9 of Acts. We're going to get through a few verses today. Chapter 9 of Acts. Last week, you guys, we looked at the adventure that God had put Philip on, right? Philip, one of the seven guys that were set aside to be these, like, first deacons, these first table waiters, people that were, like, taking care of the widows and making sure that everything was, was good with those you know, widows that were feeling left out, right? Because they were Greek-speaking widows. They were Hellenistic Jews versus the Hebrew Jews. And so there was a, there was an opportunity for conflict that the enemy wanted to do. And what did they do? I love it, right? Because what did the church do? They prayed about it and they put almost all, almost every one of these people, if not all of them, were all Greek-speaking either Jews or Greek-speaking Greeks, right? Greek-speaking Gentiles. It's kind of crazy how he did that. And so they went the whole opposite way. I said before, it would be like us saying, you know what, whatever party we're affiliated with, I'll just pick one. I'm gonna say libertarian. (laughs) (laughs) You like what I did there? Oh yeah. If we were all libertarians, every one of us, and we said, man, what's the best way to handle this, Lord? Like, Lord, what do you wanna do here? And we're like, you know what, we're gonna just let all of the, pick another crazy green party be in charge. I don't know. Are they the same? I have no idea. You get my point? Okay, let's go Republicans and Democrats. We're all Democrats and we're going to let all the Republicans be in charge. Or we're all Republicans and we're going to let all the Democrats be in charge. In the American culture, we would be like, that would be a disaster. The way humans think, it's like, no, I need to pad my side with as many as I can get. But the way God did it, it was like, no, trust that I've got these people that are following me first and foremost, and get it done. I am not equating politics to the church, by the way. I'm just using it as an example. I don't want anyone to walk away and be like, so what you're saying is I should vote the opposite of what I think? No. <laughs> if you got that from this, then you're not listening. You guys, Philip was that guy, and here he is. And last week we looked at it. He was on, the, on this adventure, leaving this thriving ministry that God had given, given him in Samaria to take the loneliest road. Right? That's actually what the Greek is kind of getting at. Is God told him, like, take, there was two ways into Samaria, basically, from where he was. And they were like, take the one that is less traveled. Take the way that is lonely. Basically, I compared it to this. It would be like taking Death Valley Road. You know, the road between Vegas and California. Walking that road and being like, well, hopefully somebody comes. That's kind of what he was doing. That times about 100, right? Because Death Valley, you probably will find somebody on the road eventually, right? Some other poor sucker, poor sap trying to get to California. But the reality is, man, nobody really took these roads. Nobody really took this road. And what happened? Man, he came across this wealthy eunuch from southern Egypt who was reading from the book of Isaiah. And Philip was able to explain to the eunuch what he was reading, what the eunuch was reading. Because he said, he's like, do you know, who, you know what that is? Like, do you know, what, you know what that's talking about? He's like, how can I? Unless somebody explains it to me. He's like, got it. Let me, let me tell you. And this eunuch accepted Jesus and was baptized. And then what happened? Philip departed. No, Philip disappeared. It's crazy. I really went, dude, how big would churches grow if all of a sudden I was like, all right, y'all, bye. (laughs) And you're like, hey, uh, I heard he's out in California on Death Valley Road. (laughs) No, dude, it was just crazy what happened. I don't know why God did that. It's kind of a crazy thing that God did for Philip, but Philip was just obedient to do everything that goes against the human way, right? He was like, hey, leave a thriving ministry and go on a road that you might not see anybody on to where? To basically nowhere, right? Into Gaza, the area that was super deserted at that point. And then he finds this guy and he goes back and we talked last week, you guys, this eunuch specifically, you guys ever hear the Coptic Christians in Egypt? He's the person that they all say made them who they are. Like that's who they claim. Do you understand the way God moved in this crazy, crazy way? Now we're going to see Philip again because Philip shows up in this town far, far away from where he was in that moment. And he goes about telling everybody about Jesus on his way to Caesarea. And when he arrives there, he stays there. And we're going to actually come across him again in chapter 21 if you didn't get a chance to listen to that message last week, I would encourage you, find it on the podcast, go out to YouTube, whatever, go check it out so you don't miss out. But today, we're going to be turning our attention back to Saul, right? This piece of work that was on a mission, but it wasn't a good one, right? He wasn't on a mission to Africa, and he wasn't on a mission to the DR. It wasn't good. He wasn't going to spread the gospel. He was going to kill the gospel. That was his whole mission in life. He wanted to end this thing called Christianity. And so as we dig in today, I want to look at one major thing about Saul. And here's the thing I want to look at. Where was his heart? Where was Saul's heart? I think it's a key question for us all to examine. And as always, we're not just looking at a guy and thinking like, oh, well, that's an interesting story. No, where's your heart? And how can we relate to Saul in some ways? I think it's a good thing for us to chew on and think through. And so let's dig in. Chapter 9, verse 1 says this, it says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So the last time we had talked about Saul, flip over with me one page, probably, at least it is for me, to chapter eight of Acts. Oh, you guys all do have your Bibles. I love it. Chapter 3, or I'm sorry, chapter 8, <laughs> verse 3, you guys are like, what? This is the last time we saw Paul. It says this, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. That was the last word we had had of Saul, this guy, this Pharisee. Saul had been busy doing his best to eliminate this thing that had begun in Jerusalem. And we looked at that, and he was going around, and he was in the city just trying to wreck this thing, stop it where it was, like just kill it, right? You guys, when I lived in Okinawa, Japan, I don't know where this is, but this is kind of what I feel like it's the best description of it. When I lived in Okinawa, Japan, there are roaches everywhere, and they're huge roaches. So they're not like the tiny little ones that you get because you're dirty. They're just in your house because they're huge. If anyone's ever lived, they're in the DR too, right? There's these huge water bugs. They're huge roaches. Here's the thing. You can kill one, and if you kill one and it runs into, like, these little crevices and stuff, like they like to do because they're roaches, it is so gross, and I'm ashamed to say it, but everyone has these, so it's not shameful there. And And if you're like, I don't believe you, well, it's true. They would run into these little crevices and push out, like, three or four others, and I freely admit that when I first moved to Okinawa, dude... I saw this thing, and I was like, it, they're, they're like that big. They're huge, right? And I was up because it was on the wall, and I was like, oh, no. And I'm up there with my shoe, and I was like, wham, and I went to kill it, and it went like this, and it flew in my face, and I was like, ah! And I fell off the chair, and it went crazy, and it flew down, and it went in, and then I was on the floor on my back because I fell off the chair, and it ran into a crevice, and there was five other ones that, like, ran out, and I was like, ah! Like, I'm like, I just wanted to die, that's kind of like what Saul did. Saul was like, wham, ah! and it just spread out. And they went everywhere. And they found out that there was more and more people coming. And they were making little baby roaches. It was just happening all over the place. That was what the church was doing. It was crazy what was happening. And Saul kept doing more and more, trying to exterminate it. And it kept spreading out. The more he kept focusing on Jerusalem, the more it spread. We saw it already. Philip, he was in Samaria. Why? Because they spread out. Flip over with me, you guys, to Galatians chapter 1. This is Saul himself telling us about his life and how it was. Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. This is what he said. He said this. He says, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. What's he saying? He's like, dude, my explicit life goal was to end this thing. And you've heard about that. Now, here, we're reading in Galatians about the Apostle Paul. Same guy. Totally different man. If that makes sense. Saul, this one-man wrecking crew of self-righteous rage. We're going to see today. And we're already seeing through Philip that he wasn't doing a great job. He wasn't doing a great job at all. He was actually doing a horrible job because it kept spreading out and it kept getting bigger and there kept being more. This, the infection of this great news of the gospel was spreading everywhere, everywhere the people went. And Saul went to the high priest to get these letters of permission to go clear out Damascus, to go clear them out from the, from the Christians that had spread there. And I wanna look at a map just to give you guys an idea of what we're talking about here. The bottom little blue circle down there is Jerusalem. Damascus is way up there. Damascus is not even in Israel, you guys, right? Modern day, it's not, it's, it's so far north, you guys. This is a six day journey, it's like a 130 mile journey. Six days it would have taken him to get clear up there. That's how far it had spread, at least by, by Saul's estimation, And he wanted to go up there and figure it out from there. Do you understand how worthless this endeavor was? How entirely worthless it was. And he went up there, he was going up there to continue to fight the scourge of this infection of the way. And this was how the early church was known, you guys, the way. This name for the church is actually used in Acts six times. It predates the slur of Christian. Did you guys know that? Did you know Christian was not a good term? It was first used in Antioch, and it was actually spit out of the mouth. It was like, you're a Christian, right? It's actually still a slur in many parts of the world. We've turned it into a slur in another way, church, because we've treated it like it's nothing, and we don't give it the weight that it's due. But the reality is, you guys, is that before all of that, it was called the way. I love the way. I think that's a cool way of referring to your walk with the Lord, the way. I'm on the way. Why? Why? Because I think it actually hits much closer to what this thing called Christianity is. Christianity on the American tongue can mean a lot of different things, can it? Christianity can mean I show up at Easter. Christianity can mean I go live like living hell all week long and show up Sunday in my Sunday best. Christianity can mean I'm a legalistic jerk face to everybody in my workplace and I tell them that it's only about the 1611 King James Bible and I do all these other things and I'm a total loser and no one likes me. That can all mean Christianity in the American mindset, can it not? Am I making any of this up? You guys, I think the way gets a lot closer to this. It's not just a way of thinking. Christianity is not a belief. Christianity is a way of life it's the way. It's everything. Church, I want want us to get a hold of this. Look, it's not even just a way to get to heaven. It is all those things. It is a way of thinking. It is a belief. It is a way to get to heaven, the way to get to heaven, the one and only way to get to heaven. But the reality is it's more than all that, you guys. It's your life, Christian. If you live the way They lived. I promise you, God will do amazing things here in the Seacoast area. I'm just being honest. And I see it happening. I just want to encourage you guys. This is not a beat-down message. This is an encouraging message because we get to continue to walk in this way, and we see that God is doing something here in this church body. And by the way, not just us, you guys. Dover Baptist is growing. and and Restoration. I had resurrection in my head. (laughs) They don't get to steal that. No restoration is growing you guys god is moving in his church here in the seacoast area i'm not acting like we're doing some horrible thing i'm saying we can always get better we can always do more we can always be more but here's the thing if we think that that's the answer of wick i've got to be more i've got to do more then we're missing the point it's not about any of that you can't do more or be more you just are in the way or you're not in the way does that make sense I hope that we come to recognize, you guys, that Christianity isn't just something we do, right? Who here likes the Mandalorian? Come on, y'all. I love the Mandalorian. I love the whole lore, Star Wars lore. Man, that's my jam. I dig it, right? The Mandalorian. What is this whole idea of a Mandalorian? It's a person that never takes his mask off, never takes his helmet off, right, ever. No one ever sees his face. Even when they eat, they like eat... Privately, like they do all these things. That's the whole lore of the thing. And you know what they say? This is the way. And what do they mean by that? My entire life is this. That's what they mean. And I gotta tell you, this is the way. Church, Mandalorians, live it. Verse three. Last week I called everybody a hobbit, so, you know. Verse three. It says, now as he went on his way, Who is doing his best to help God out? Remember, I talked about his heart. Let's just talk about this for a second, you guys. I genuinely believe Saul's heart was to do a good thing for God. I do. I think that his heart was genuinely towards like I want to give you honor and and praise you, God. I want to. I want to please you, Lord. I want to do this for you, God. I want to. I want to. I want to give you the honor that you do. I really do think that, you guys. The name of the message today is: Are you honoring God or yourself? Now, was that all of the Sanhedrin? Not at all. We know for a fact that there were plenty of people that were there for the power, the money, and the prestige, right? We know there were plenty of people that really didn't give a crap about any of this stuff. They really just like to use the system to make money. We see pastors like that today, don't we? Sadly. We see people in the church that are just about trying to gain the thing. I heard of a church from somebody that I was talking to that they said that the whole church, the whole design of the church was because that's where all the powerful people of the city went and so you go there. That's not the point of church. That's completely not the point of church but I don't think that was Saul's heart, you guys. I think Saul's heart was actually, God, I want to please you. God, I want to do this thing for you but how was he doing it? In his flesh. He was doing it in his flesh entirely. So he's, he's going, trying to help God out Get rid of this anomaly, this thing, and he's overwhelmed by a light. You guys, this wasn't the dead of night. This was the middle of the day. You actually get that picture in the Greek that it's like, this was like in the brightest part of the day. And the reason that that's brought up, the reason Luke wrote that in there is because he's saying this light right here made the sun look like it was dark. That's how bright this light was that hit Paul. Do you understand, or Saul? (laughs) I'm going to do that a lot, so just forgive me now. Saul, Paul. Saul fell down. Here's the deal. You guys ever hear the story that Saul was on his donkey and he got knocked off or he was on a horse, right? We hear that all the time. I say that a lot too. There's no indication here. There's no indication in the actual, in the book at all that says that he was on any type of an animal. We assume that he probably maybe was on an animal. Why? Because he had money and he had wealth and he had prestige and he had all the things that would be required for him to have a donkey at least maybe even a horse of some sort to, to take him. So that's why we say these things. But if you, I'm just being honest. Let's keep to the, the context of the word. It doesn't say here that he was necessarily on one. Does it matter? No. But there it is. I just wanted to make that clear. But this wasn't some tiny light. This was the middle of the day. The sun was the brightest. And Jesus made the sun seem like darkness in comparison. And Saul fell down, not because he was like, oh, holy father, tell me what it might be. Please explain to me. No, he fell down, I think, in a little ball as tiny as he could get because he was terrified. That's what I think Saul fell for. I think Saul was like, what is this? Is it a UFO? Is there a meteor about ready to fall on my head? Like, what is going on? And so he fell down because he didn't, it was completely otherworldly. It was something that was outside of the norm. And he hears this voice. It says, Saul, Saul. And I want to stop there for a second. If you've never heard this, I'll tell you now, anytime you see in scripture a name repeated twice, it's an important thing. God didn't waste space in his word. So by the way, if you see repetition of verses or concepts or thoughts, those are important, <laughs> right? If it's, it's, if it's mentioned multiple times. And so what we see here is him saying, Saul, Saul, and I want you to think back. Can you think back of other times that Jesus himself did that? What about this one in Luke ten forty one, Martha, Martha, right? You're busy about many things. But Mary shows chosen the better thing. What about this one? Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I wanted to gather you in. But you wouldn't listen. That's in Matthew 23, 37, my paraphrase. You guys, I think that when Jesus was saying, Saul, Saul, he was saying it with a heart of compassion. He was like, man, you are trying so hard. And you are so off the mark. Saul, Saul, listen to me. Stop for a second. And he says this, why are you persecuting me? Saul was not just taking people to their deaths to end a heresy in his estimation. Saul was actually persecuting God. I need us to hear that. Saul, whose heart I believe was in his own way, in his flesh, thinking I'm doing this good thing for God was literally against God, persecuting God. Do you understand why I believe the book of Acts is such a vital importance to the church and why I believe we as a church need to get our head around that? Listen, we live our lives in the spirit, guys. We are going to screw it up when we do things in the flesh. It's it's a fact. If you don't believe me, hang out with me long enough, you will see me do things in the flesh, and you'll be like, you're right. That's screwed up. If I hang out with you long enough, I'll be able to say say the same thing about you, won't I? Because we're all flawed human beings, so I'm not acting like I'm expecting perfection. I'm saying, man, Lord, my heart's desire, what I want for us as a church, what I think is the most important thing is say, Lord, Holy Spirit, guide me today. Holy Spirit, guide my conversation. Holy Spirit, guide me in the way that I interact and what I do because here is Saul in his estimation doing exactly what he thought God wanted him to do and it was a polar opposite from what God wanted him to do. Why? Because he was trying his best to serve God but he had no real clear sense of where God was moving. Hear me on this. Guys, I'm not kidding. New England, you are crusty people. And I love that about you. Right? Because I feel like I'm like right there with you in so many ways. But the reality is, is that the other thing you are is you're very traditional. So you're like, I'm all set. What does that mean? I don't want anything to change ever. I want my little world to be my little world, and I don't want it blown up. God's in the business of exploding everything and turning everything into a huge adventure. It's amazing. You're all little hobbits. That's what I talked about last week. I want my second breakfast when I want it, and I want my little world, and I want to go in my little hobbit hole, and I want to live there, and I want to be fine, and everything needs to be fine, and I'm okay. No, guys. Being a Christian means saying, God, you've got it. Like, what do you got for me? It's a totally different way of living. But the reality is, you guys, the truth is, is that church, I think we can easily fall back. And I think New Englanders, we can easily fall back into this idea of, yeah, but God's done it this way. And maybe God was moving in a certain way. But now I'm like, well, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I, that's how it was. And so I'm, I, I mean, maybe you're saying something new, God, but I'm not really down with that. So we're just going to keep doing this thing. It's something I tell the leadership team, you guys. Every year we come together to do these meetings, and every time we have a meeting with the leadership team, the one thing I tell them that I never want to hear is this, we did it last year, so let's do it again. You need to come with a reason that the Holy Spirit gave you to do something again. Everything I say all the time is on the chopping block, except God's word, worship, kids ministry, because we kind of need it. Right? There's certain things that aren't on the chopping block, but everything else is on the chopping block. By the way, the Christmas party is going to be drastically different next year, for those of you that didn't like it. I wasn't a fond, very fond of it either, so we're going to change it up next year. Okay, Everything's on the chopping block. Here's the truth. When we read what Jesus was saying here, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I think in our flesh, wouldn't we want to read that like Jesus is saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I think Jesus actually said it like this. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I think the why is way more important than the me here. Jesus, listen, I need you to hear this. Jesus is not thrown off by North Korea's dictatorship there. Jesus is not thrown off at all by Hamas. Hamas. God is not thrown off by what's happening in Russia and Ukraine. God is not ever at all, not one iota, not one millisecond up there being like, wow, I didn't know that was going to happen. God is God. He's got it. We can trust him in everything, you guys. He's not here thinking, Saul, how dare you? How could you do this? He knew Saul was going to do that before Saul was even born. That is not the emphasis. The emphasis is why. In other words, he's saying, Saul, I pity you. Do you understand how worthless and fruitless this endeavor is for you? That's what he's saying. And he's not saying it in mockery. He's just trying to love on this guy enough to say, like, would you get your head around the fact that you're not honoring me? You're doing the opposite. Would you get your head around the fact that if you continue down this road, it will not end well for you? When I pray for the thing that's going on in Israel, do you understand that I do pray that Hamas would come to the end of themselves quickly because it will end poorly for them? And I can promise you this, even if there are victories won here, listen to me, Germany won victories too, but where did it end for the Nazis? Just being honest, God has got this. And if he doesn't have it in our estimation here on earth, can I just promise you this? God's justice will prevail in the end. I trust that, I know that, I believe that. Jesus was telling Saul, I am God, just like everyone's been saying. And so you're going to lose this way if you keep going. And Saul responded appropriately, didn't he? Who are you, Lord? Some of you guys that are reading the New King James, and I don't know what other translations might have this, but there's a little bit more to that verse, right? Where he says, like, who are you, Lord, and what do you want me to do? Right? And then Jesus is like, why are you kicking against the goads? Some of you guys have that translation? Yeah. So... I'll be honest with you, in the earliest translations or the earliest manuscripts that we have, those parts aren't there. And so a lot of scholars believe that that was some scribe that was just like, you know what? I'm gonna clarify this little point a little bit more. And they added those little extra pieces. Does it add some clarification? Yeah, because we see later that Jesus says directly to him, like, hey man, like this is the thing. I need you to go and I need you to do this. And we already read that, right? So there is some clarification there, but a lot of scholars believe that that particular section was added by a scribe later on that that doesn't show up. In our oldest manuscripts, it doesn't show up for like 30, 40 years after. We've got other manuscripts that have those verses in it. So I'm just throwing that out there for you. Um, But the reality is, man, God's word is God's word. And so we know that Saul fell down. He said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am he. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Why did he say, who are you, Lord? I think we... We're quick to sanitize things, aren't we? Can I just be honest with you? Lord, we keep talking about this church. It means, who are you, master? Who are you, one that gets to tell me everything and gets to boss me around? Who are you, one who is above me in every possible meaning of that word? That's what the Lord means. That's what that word means, kairos, the boss, the leader, the king, the master, Do you understand, guys, that we throw that word around, oh, Lord, Lord, would you give me that Ferrari? Oh, Lord, this, oh, Lord, that. But we don't really, when the Lord says, yeah, okay, great, I can do that, but here's what I need you to do. We're like, yeah, I don't know if I really want you to be Lord in that area. Why did he say, who are you, Lord? Is because he just got knocked down by a light that was so bright that it was blinding, that it, (laughs) we're gonna see that it literally was blinding. It crushed him, you guys. He was turned into a pile of goo, essentially, right there on the earth by this thing that was so far above him and was speaking directly to him. Do you understand why at that point he was like, you are Lord, I get it. Whoever you are, you're bigger than me. Whoever you are, you've got it. What is going on here? He asked a great question, who are you? Who are you, master? Saul finally gets an answer. It's the Jesus that he's been standing against this whole time. The one that said this before he died, if you kill me in three days, I'm going to rise up. That's my paraphrase, right? He said, I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah. If you, if you do this, I'm going I'm to, you know, Jonah went down for three days and then he came back up and that's, that's the only sign I'm going to give you. And then he also said this other thing, right, one time. He said, man, if you, if you destroy this temple, it'll be raised up in three days. What was he talking about? Him. And he did it, you guys, and Saul heard from his Lord now and gave him direction. Hey, go into the city, and I'll tell you what to do next. And I want you to notice that everyone that was with Saul heard the voice, so they heard all of this interaction, but they couldn't see what was going on. They saw no bright light, and I just want to stop and think about that for just a second. You guys, I don't know, I would just encourage you, when you come to the word, like, let the craziness of it sit with you imagine being a person that's standing here and steve is the one that is on the floor and he's like hey who are you lord like what's going on and you're standing there and imagine not hearing a voice at all and not seeing any bright light and you're just like man steve's a freak what is wrong with steve right? That's what would be happening. It's almost like God was gracious to these other men to give them the sound of the voice to at least say, something's happening here, and I don't get it. But not everything, because that was only meant for Saul. Saul's the only one that got to interact with Jesus in that way, in that moment. But isn't that crazy? I don't know. Just think about it. I mean, imagine if Saul was like that, and then Saul stood up. He's like, yo, did you see the light? And they're like, no, man. Did you hear the voice? No, dude, I think you're crazy. Let's take you to the doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Stuff like that cracks me up. So here they are. He comes back out of this. They heard the voice, so they knew. Yeah, man, uh, the goal is to go back into the town. You go back up into Damascus or to go up into Damascus. And so let's keep reading. Verse 8 says this. Saul rose from the ground. And although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So Saul listened to Jesus. He listened to his Lord. He got up. He opened his eyes. But instead of them working like they did before, he couldn't see anything. Interestingly, you guys, one could easily say that before Jesus showed up, Paul was blindly raging against God. And after Jesus showed up, he was actually seeing where God was leading for the first time ever. Think about the contrast here. Think about the spiritual implications of all this. Think about the fact that he was blind for how many days? Three days. There's all a lot of meaning here. There's a lot of completeness in all this. It was almost like God was saying, like, you need to understand everything you've been doing. And I need you to take away one of your senses so that you understand that without me you have gotten nothing and you never did before, you just thought you did. Now he was seeing and following God with complete faith. For three days Saul fasted. He was blind. I would assume, this isn't written here, but I think, and I think we can see this throughout the rest of his writings, that he was taking inventory of his life. That he was repenting of the things. He was like, oh my gosh, how wrong have I been? How could I have been this messed up? How could I have done these things? He was praising God for his grace and mercy because you understand that God could have just as easily been like, you will never make it to Damascus because I'm ending you right here. But he didn't. And I'm thankful he didn't because most of the New Testament is written by this guy named Paul. C.H. Spurgeon said this about Paul being led into Damascus. He said this, the proud persecutor who was going to Damascus as a conqueror to crush the saints of God was himself led into the city as a captive to be forever afterward the slave of Jesus Christ. You guys, this tattoo I have in my arm that Stephen so lovingly put on me, doulos, not "Soynag," dulas. This is the word that Paul consistently uses, doulos, I am a slave of Christ. I am a willing bondservant. I give my life freely to Christ. You guys, the big takeaway from today is this. Who are you honoring with your life? Where is your heart? All of the religious leaders in that day were all supposed to be honoring God. But many of them, you guys, we know were only honoring themselves financially, gaining power, putting others down to make them look better. Some, I believe, and I, I don't, I don't think it's hard to believe this, right? We know that uh, who was that? Who was the one that was helping Jesus get down off the, uh, get down off the cross? Nicodemus, right? A guy that was genuinely like. Who are you? I want to go. I want to know more about you, Jesus. He wasn't just after power. He actually wanted to know the truth. He wanted to seek out, well, God, what are you doing? And I want to be in that. And I, so I, there were definitely religious leaders that were that way too, that honestly were trying to honor God. And I believe Saul was one of those guys that was genuinely trying and wanting to honor God. But he was going about it in his own power, and it had the absolute opposite effect. I think it's the same way with us, you guys. Statistically, let's just be honest, there are people in this church that are here to honor themselves, and it's you. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) It's just a statistical fact, isn't it? There are people here that are just here to honor themselves. Maybe they're not believers yet, so maybe they just don't know any other better way. Maybe they don't really give a crap. About God at all. And so they're just like, dude, whatever. I got drug here by my dad, or I got drug here by my parents, and I don't really care, or I got drug here by my spouse. Maybe that's you today. Can I just tell you, God loves you, and he's calling out your name twice. He wants to know you. The fact is, you guys, I sadly have to admit that there are definitely people here that are not looking To seek the Lord and to see what God might do here in this church body, but instead they're looking, what can I get from the church and how can I use God to my gain? I pray it isn't true, but statistics would say we would at least have a few. I think there are also some here that statistically really want to honor God but have no clue how to do that in the power of the Spirit. And so you're just trying to do it on your own. Honestly, do you know where we see that a lot, you guys? Heavy legalistic Christians are walking in their own power. They're like, I know the law and I've got it. And by the way, your translation sucks. My translation's better. And they're like weird about it. And they're stupid. And they're like, you're wearing pants that have cuffs on the bottom, you sinner. (laughs) They're that type of person. And you're like, dude, who are you aiming at? What's your aim? How How is that honoring God? Really? And they actually genuinely believe they are honoring God with that life. And they're not. I hope, guys, that we are a church full of people that desire to honor God, but know that the only true way to do that is to surrender your life to him. To say, Holy Spirit, you got to do something in this hot mess of me because I, left to my own devices, are going to screw everything up all the time. That's the church I want us to be. And I need us Christians, listen, if you're here today and you're a Christian, I need you to stop for a second. And we're going to take communion here in a second. And I want us to stop and examine our hearts for a little bit because I don't know about you. But as I studied this week and as I looked at my life and even as I was coming in, listen, I do you know go out and talk to people and I, I do different things. And you know what I don't do very well? I don't listen very well. I'm great at talking, too good at talking. And the more you talk, the more you realize that, man, you know when you're in the flesh because your mouth is moving and you're like, what is, what is happening? Right? Do you get my point? So man, I've got a lot of room to grow. I'm not walking in the spirit every moment of every day. I'm not walking in the spirit in every situation in my life. I wish I was and I want and I pray that that would become true in my life through time, but it's not true right now. I'm just being real. And so as your pastor, I'm asking you guys, would you be willing to take some moments today and examine your heart and say, Lord, Lord, And listen, this doesn't require talking. It requires listening to God and let him point it out. Let the Holy Spirit tell you, hey, you're doing okay here, but here you stink and you need to figure it out. Seek me on this. Maybe there's some relative you have that drives you up a wall and you're going to tell that person exactly what's wrong with them. And maybe God's saying, stop. Let me deal with their life. Love on them well. Maybe. I have no idea. I'm just talking. Let the Holy Spirit talk to you. Because I want to be doulos. I want to be willing slaves. I want us to give our whole lives to Christ, to actually live the way instead of just being Christians. Thanks for listening to this message from Awaken Great Bay in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our church or need prayer for something in your life, connect with us at awakengreatbay.com.